0: Praise the Lord. What a blessing to be here together with you today. Man. And I tell you what, it's fun to be in a church that's alive and active. Listen, when you're sitting on the front row and you can't see who is behind you, but you can hear them and you know that they're praying and you can hear them when they're worshiping. You know, this is going to be a good day because these are people who are engaged in what God is doing. And so what a privilege to get to be here and worship together with you today. And uh, I did and just come to preach. I came to seek God together with you. I may be able to have a part in this service, but you have a part in this service too. And so together we're going to go after God and see what he does today. And what a privilege you guys have. You have this incredible pastoral team that's here that serves you and leadership team. And, and I love that your pastors have not only a heart for this church, for you, by the way, you know the church is not the building, right? It's the people. You know that, right? Okay, good. And so you had good teaching. That's good enough. And so they, they have a heart for you, but not just you, but this whole community. Man, for this whole parish, that is so awesome to know that somebody is thinking, hey, we, there's more people out there that we can reach for Jesus, and what a blessing to get to be here. And so, man, what a, what a great joy and honor, and was so privileged when, uh, when Brother Ron wasn't able to come to be able to step in and pinch hit. And, uh, you know, when you sit the bench and the coach calls your name and says, go pinch hit, that's a pretty good day. That's a pretty good day, and so uh, you go grab that helmet and that bat, you go out there and swing. So uh, I like to have a little bit of fun, and then we'll get serious with the word of God, but, uh, but uh, you know, uh, a minister went into his closet one day and on, it happened to see on his wife's side this uh, jar that had six eggs in it, and beside it was uh, a stack of money, and he counted it was a thousand one dollar bills. And, and he asked his wife, said, "Honey, what's what, what's the deal with the eggs and the and the money in the in the closet in there on your side?" And she said, "Oh, well, all these years that we've been married, every time you preached a bad message." I would put an egg in the jar and he you know he's feeling pretty good he's like all right I've only over all these years I've only preached six bad messages and he goes well, what's the money she said well every time I got a dozen eggs I, I sold one for a dollar. So hopefully hopefully you won't have to endure one of those egg messages today <laughs> today or tonight we'll ask the lord to help us in a moment to uh, to do that But uh, it's my joy and privilege to get to serve the Lord. Uh, I didn't always live for Jesus. I grew up in a pastor's home, uh, was saved at age five, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit at church camp called to preach at age 15 at an all-night prayer meeting, but at 16 walked away from my relationship with the Lord and didn't come back to him till 20. Let me just tell you something, there, I, there's no way I deserve to stand in this pulpit today, but by the grace of God, I get to be here. And he forgave me and wiped all that away and somehow chose to say, yeah, I still want to use you and do that. And so when I say it's a privilege for me to stand here today, I don't take that lightly, but I take the the. the Privilege of getting to preach and share the word of God very seriously. I am married. I think you saw my gorgeous, smoking hot wife right there. I've said smoking hot wife so many times. The boys have started calling her their smoking hot mama, and uh, and it's funny to hear your six year old say that. Alex is nine. He's on the left there, and Austin is six, six and a half. How many of you know the half is important when you're six? When you're 46, not as important, okay. But when you're six, it's important, and so uh, they are—they're uh, fun. They have a good time together. I'll tell you a little bo- bit more about that as we go along today. And uh, let me just say this. I don't know why you came today. I hope you may have come because it was Sunday You may and you go to church on Sunday. It, it's ritual for you. I don't know. You may have come today because uh, your parents made you. I don't know. And you could be 40 and your parents still made you come. I don't know. But you came today. Or maybe you said, I'm hungry for what God is doing. Or maybe, I don't know, You could have. there's a whole lot of reasons you could be. Maybe you're desperate today. Maybe life has brought you to a place where you're going, I, I don't know where else to turn. I'm going to go to God, I'm going to go to the church, I'm going to see what happens. But I know why I'm here today. And though there was originally another plan, as Pastor mentioned, God had a plan. And He determined that in this moment that I would be a man on a mission. A man who came today with a word from heaven for you. Not a a word that would be passé or half-hearted, but it would be a word that was distinctly for you. And I came to speak to someone today. I came to encourage you to have faith in the abundant life that God desires for you, that you would walk in the miraculous with God. God doesn't just want to work miracles on his own. He wants to include you and me in the process of that in this world. And he doesn't just want to work them inside the four walls of this church. He wants to work them in the schoolhouse. He wants to work them on the oil rig. He wants to work them wherever we are at. He wants to work through through us to make His presence known and His power known in people's lives. And maybe you've encountered a situation, you came in here today, it's your own or it's somebody else's, and it requires the miraculous. Maybe your marriage looks like an impossibility today. Maybe there's a financial situation that looks like an impossibility. Maybe having a baby seems like an impossibility, or maybe... It's somebody's health, and it seems like an impossibility. seems like there's no way that this could work out. And I came today to tell you that we often don't see the situation through the right eyes. We're not expecting the miraculous. We're looking at life in the natural, and we're saying, and Pastor mentioned it so clearly, or that was, that was perfect to be able to say that sometimes we're not seeing things from the right point of view. But God sees the situation from a whole different set of lenses and if we want to see and if we could see and if we would see what he sees then we would experience the miracle that needs to be experienced the truth is laid out for us very clearly in john chapter 6 john chapter 6 the verses 1 through 13 and you're like 13 verses holy cow you read that many verses occasionally yes like every day okay Okay, I'll be honest. Sometimes I stop. I only read five verses or two verses because I get convicted and just got to stop and pray, right? (laughs) Here we go. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. After this, will I feed back if I walk? Am I? Okay, okay, good. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. If it was Trump, he'd say it was a huge crowd, right? Okay, but it was a huge crowd that kept falling wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people. He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Man, I just love that, right? This is a pause right there. He already knew what he was going to do. All right? This is important to the story, the account of what happened. Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. There's an exclamation point at the end of mine when I read it. So that's how you, right? How do you read it when there's an exclamation point? Oh, yeah, even if we worked for months, or wouldn't we? No! Philip's like you lost your mind. <laughs> there wouldn't be there wouldn't be enough. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two small fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled twelve baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic of the boy, the barley, the bait, and the baskets. The boy, the barley, the bait, and the baskets. And there is one thing that I hope you take away from this message today, and it is this. When it comes to the miraculous, God sees as already done what you and I see as impossible. Come on, that's a, you don't have to remember anything else. I'm not saying don't listen to the rest. I'm saying God sees as already done, like it happened yesterday, like it's already in the history books, as already done what you and I see as impossible. I'm gonna pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon this message. As we pray, I spoke with my sister and her husband, who live in uh, on the southeast side of Houston, and uh, my wife, uh, her brother and sister-in-law live on the northeast side or the north side of Houston. There and uh, and some of my friends that live there have had some just ridiculous rain places where eight foot poles uh are covered complete cars completely submerged in water uh you know the sewer not working because there's so much water going those folks are in some serious need right now and i i still believe that the god who after he did this was out on the sea with the disciples and said peace be still can tell that storm to disintegrate right now And not dump another inch of rain on anybody, anywhere. And I think we should join our hearts together today. Pray for those who are already suffering, but pray that God would prevent any further suffering. Would you join me in prayer? We'll ask him to speak to our hearts as well. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and Lord, we want to give you praise and thanks that you are absolutely in control of everything. What seems impossible to us, you see is already done. God, we ask you to obliterate Hurricane Harvey or Tropical Storm or Tropical Depression or whatever they want to call it. God, I pray it wouldn't dump another inch of rain on anyone, anywhere, but that you would disintegrate it in the name of Jesus by your authority and power over it, And I pray, Lord, that those who are suffering would get the help that they need and that there would be no more suffering inflicted on anyone, anywhere, and that you would begin to get credit and glory for it every way people turn and there would be no way around it to explain it other than you. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our lives today, Lord, that we would be able to receive your word and live in it in a new found way. And we thank you so very much. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we look at this account from Scripture, and this is not a story. This is not a fable. This is not a fairy. This really happened. There was a time when Jesus is healing the sick, and he's teaching, and people are getting ready to travel to Jerusalem. That's why it says it was, he, it, John notes that it was close to the Passover time. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands would flock to Jerusalem, and so they're in the north part of Israel. And they're getting ready to head south. They hear that Jesus is healing. They gather together in this place. I've stood very close to if not in that place where this happened and seen the slope of the hill and the valley and the space that there would be and there would be the the scripture says the men alone numbered 5,000 now i don't care if there were two women and two kids and it was 5,004 people or whether they say well there was one woman for every man and one child at least for every couple and there's 15 20,000 it doesn't matter it's still a lot of people I don't know last time you got around 5,000 people. That's a lot of people. And they're there, and as they, they come to this moment, and Jesus is healing and, and doing all these miracles, he decides that he's going to do something else big. And he looks over at Philip, and he says to Philip, and Philip's kind of in that second tier of disciples, isn't he? He's not Peter, James, or John right? He's not part of the inner circle, but he's kind of in that next tier. He's not, he's not in the bottom tier, those guys that we can't even remember their names when we try to count the 12 disciples. He's kind of in the middle, right? So just average guy, right? And he's there, and he looks over at Philip and thinks, well, this ought to be fun. Let's do this with Philip. Hey, Philip, where, where could we buy? foot Now, Philip's from Bethsaida, right near where this happened, so some scholars say, well, he asked him because he lived there in the area, hey, where's the best place to go get some bread for all these people? And so either way, he asks Philip, where can we get some bread for these people? Where can we buy this? And Philip looks like, he, you can see the stunned look on Philip's face. I don't know if your mind works like mine does, but when I read these things, I'm seeing them happen, right? I'm I'm imagining what it must have been like to stand there with them on that day and watch Jesus say this to Philip. And Philip begins to look out over the crowd. These people, you want want to feed all these people? Yeah, yeah, Philip. Where where can we buy bread for them? Philip's Gee, like one, two, three, skip a few, skip a more F- five thousand. Like there's like there's how to do... Jesus, do you realize what you're saying? The sheer numbers. And what happens is Philip begins to see the insurmountable need the insurmountable need he begins to to look at the situation and he says jesus the need is so great we can't even overcome it it's an insurmountable need and and instantly if you're one of those people who has to make things happen in life how many how many of you are those people you're the person somebody comes up with a great idea some goofy dreamer like alan comes up with an idea and says you know what i do let's do this and you're going, okay, um, when do you want that? Where are we going to, uh, how, yeah, how many of you are that person? You start calculating, right? You got to, and you start coming through and you're going like, uh, and so Philip begins to count the people that are there. And then he begins to say, okay, if we're going to feed each one of them, it's going to cost us this much to feed Okay, so Jesus, let me tell you why this is not going to work. This is not going to work, Jesus, because if you've noticed the insurmountable number of people that we have here, you multiply that by this amount. There are 13 of us. Well, okay, we won't make you work uh, because you're the Son of God. And and, and really, we probably shouldn't count Judas because we know how that works out. But anyway, there's the rest of us who are really committed. And if we worked... For, uh, Scripture says, some say two months or three months, but let's just say two months. If all of us worked solid every day for two months, we still wouldn't have enough money to feed them. And they're not going to wait around two months for us to feed them one meal. Jesus, do you understand what I'm saying? There's not enough. There's no way. The need is too great. And he looks at it and he says, I just can't fathom how this would work. And I know kind of what he feels like. I I gave away a little bit of the, the story because you've already seen the picture of me and my wife smiling with two kids. But there's some days that we were not smiling because we didn't have kids yet and we couldn't have kids. We had been to the doctors and the next step for us was fertility treatment. And we had had friends who had tried fertility treatment and it hadn't worked yet. And it was going to cost about $20,000. And we were like, we don't have $20,000. And we began to say, well, Lord, what are we going to do? And we felt like God placed orphans and adoption on our heart. So we began to pursue adoption. We decided that, you know, we felt that God was directing us to, to adopt from China. And so, man, we put in our cuts. We even said, God, we'll take a child with special needs. We'll, we, we just want to have children in our family. We got a lot of love, and we want to share that with somebody else. And we know there's kids who need parents, and we can do this, God. You could use us to do this. And I'm telling you, it, we got into that. It was supposed to be a 9- to 12-month process. We stayed in that process for six years before we finally had to get out, and it never worked. There were Sunday mornings like this when I would get up and I would get in my vehicle and I would drive across this state to go preach somewhere. And I would have conversations, sometimes two, three, four hours. I was driving on a Sunday morning to get someplace. And I would say, Okay, God, it's just you and me in the truck right now. I got a sermon laying over there in that seat beside me that I can preach this morning. But I want to know something, Lord. What do you really expect me to say to people? How am I supposed to tell them that you're going to answer their prayers when you won't even answer mine? Now, you can look at me and you say, you shouldn't talk to God like that. You're, his, he should have struck you dead. Well, it probably should have. But he didn't because of his grace and his mercy and his love. Sometimes we understand when our kids are frustrated and hurt and they can't fix it. Listen, I was watching preachers' kids having sex outside of marriage and get pregnant. We had family members who were getting pregnant outside of marriage. I was hearing friends say, Oops, slipped up. We're having another one. Another one. Accident. We don't need, God, we're doing everything we possibly can, and nothing can fix this. The need seemed insurmountable. One Sunday morning I was going down to Marrero on the West Bank of New Orleans... And I was going to be preaching, and I got. I was sitting on the front row, and I was getting ready. They were getting ready to introduce me. The pastor was about to introduce me to everyone, and, and his wife was playing the keyboard. And she says, "Honey, before Alan comes up to preach, most people don't know their story. I know their story. They really want to have kids, but they haven't been able to have kids, and the adoption is not working out. And they really want to be so. Before we release our kids to go to kids' church, the kids were in us in the service with us in that early part. She said, "Let's have them, the kids, pray for." Alan well i 've been prayed for a bunch of times okay by a bunch of people very spiritual people, good people, loving people, caring people and I thought if one more person prays for me i 'm going to punch him in the throat i just don 't even want like I was not very holy I promise you I, God should you 're right yeah I know some of you look at me and go wow you 're a why did pastor have you you 're a jerk anyway and so and so i 'm standing there and I you know and So I'm, you know, and I was like, well, this ought to be cute. Kids praying for me, you know, and, and stuff. And so I expect, you know, here's 15, 20 little kids and they come up and they stand, and they start praying. Well, at that church, somebody had taught those kids how to pray. And those kids start praying in tongues and the Holy Spirit. They start praying down the fire of heaven. They're like, God, they want to have kids. Give them kids. I mean, they are like, this is what, and I'm like, oh, they're serious. You know, my hands go up in the air and I'm like, sorry, God, I didn't mean to be a jerk. Okay, I just, you know, here I am, and I'm sorry. It's probably why I'm not getting to have kids because I'm a jerk, and I'm sorry, God. Okay, and so please, can hear the kids? Don't not for me, for the kids, God. Okay, and so you know, I'm doing anything, God, somebody, because the need seemed insurmountable. What those kids did not know is that Angela had told me on the way home today from preaching in Morero, stop by and pick up a pregnancy test because I think I might be pregnant. Well, we had gone through this enough times where it was not, it was it, it was a false positive that I was like, I'm not getting my hopes up. But these kids prayed, and I pick up the test, and I go home, and she takes the test. And she's pregnant. And this insurmountable knee, I was like, <laughs> I probably bought the wrong test. So like, I, go back, I, go, I, go, I go back. I go back. I go, back, like, the, probably the most expensive one's got to be the best one. Let's buy two of them just to make sure, you know. And go, boom, 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 go to the doctor. The doctor says, she. they do the little test. She comes back in the room, and she's, they've been through this whole process with us, you know, or whatever. They know everything that's going on in the whole deal. She opens the door. They're Christian folks, and, and sets down the clipboard on the, on the little counter right there, throws open her arms, and goes, ah! Angela, she said, baby, she said, the the hormone level that tells us that you're pregnant, I've never seen one register this high before. You're not just pregnant. You are pregnant. (laughs) See, it seemed like an insurmountable need to us, but what we see as impossible, God sees as already done. Now, you move on in the account, and you find that Philip, Philip, Just looks at it and goes, "This uh, this is bad. Shift over in the account to Andrew, and Andrew, you go, okay, well, at least Andrew's doing something about it. Andrew goes and finds a kid and says, hey, Jesus, got this little kid here. He's got five loaves of bread and two fish, and it's not much, but in fact, God, let's just be honest. This is an insufficient supply. So, Philip sees the insurmountable need, and Andrew sees the insignificant or the the insufficient supply. And it's really just the other side of the coin, of the same coin as Philip. It's, It's saying, we still don't have enough to make it happen. I tried on my own, but it wasn't. Man, Pastor, you said it earlier. We can try all we want on our own, and it's still not going to be enough. It's interesting that He sees the insignificant supply because he brings him, John says, a small boy. John notes that he was a small boy. And that word can be interpreted a couple of ways. Small could mean that he was a little boy. He was, you know, small. But it could also mean in their culture that he was insignificant. In fact, there are some scholars who say that it wasn't just his happy meal that his mom had packed him for that day. No, it was possible that he was uh, a servant or a slave, and because the crowds were going through, that he was out there working to make money, and he was selling bread and fish, and the little bit that he had left, he was selling. That's what he had left when they bring him to Jesus. That's, that's some of the thought. That, but here's this insignificant child. First of all, children in that culture, just not super, I mean like, a little more expendable probably than we would think in America today. Secondly, probably poor, probably not somebody that they would have looked at and said, oh, it it wasn't even a wealthy kid from a famous family where they might have thought there was a possibility. He was a small boy. Then, John denotes that he brings bread. And John is the only one who says this. He said he brought, he has five barley loaves. It's significant that it's barley, because barley is insignificant. It was the cheap bread. It was week old bread at the day old bread store. Bread. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? And they would, and I always think of this, I always had this picture in my mind. I, I don't know why. I always had this picture in my mind when I think of the feeding of the 5,000. These big, long, luscious French bread loaves. That's, I don't know why. That's just what, I think, five loaves and two fish. How glorious. Yes, here is my giant armful of bread, Jesus, and you can use it if you would like. But these barley bread, this barley bread was more about the size of a pancake. Think of pita bread, real thin like that and round and small And barley was the cheap grain. That's what they fed their animals. And if you were really poor, and you couldn't afford to buy wheat or whatever else, then you would take barley to make your bread. And so what this insignificant boy brings is cheap bread. And Andrew is saying to Jesus, Jesus, all we got is this kid who doesn't amount to much with cheap bread. Oh yeah, he's got two small fish. Some of the translations leave out the small, but if you read it in the original Greek, it was small fish. And there were about three or four different kinds, or there were more kinds than that, but three or four generalized kinds of fish in the Sea of Galilee. One of them was like what we would consider like a sardine, just small And they would take these fish and they would dry them out and eat them sometimes with the bread. Or they were so small and so fine that they would crush them into a paste and smear it on the bread. And it's so good, right? Nobody wants lunch now. And so they would smear them on this bread. And this is what they have brought to Jesus as their supply to be able to see something happen. Jesus, let me show you how ridiculous this is. All we can find, all we can scrape together on our own is this little kid who doesn't amount to much. He's only got cheap bread and two sardines. Now, how are we going to feed 5,000 plus people, Jesus? Do you understand that what you're saying doesn't make a whole lot of sense? I remember sitting in church on a Sunday morning much like this in Waxahachie, Texas. I had gone to work, I had been allowed to resign. I was allowed to resign. If anybody knows what that means, that is code for you got fired. But they didn't want to harm my resume, and so they they said you'll be allowed to resign. As a youth pastor, and I went to work at Southwestern Civil God University, making half of what I had been making as a youth pastor. Now, if you've never been a youth pastor before, then you don't understand the significance of what I just said right there. Half of what I made as a youth pastor. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was no way we should have survived on that. No way at all. And we, I had just moved out there to take this job, and praise God, had a job. I had to fight with the business administrator for them to allow us to live in married housing apartments on the campus that were empty. Had no one in them because we couldn't afford to live anywhere else in town and take the job. And so we get there, and I'm out there ahead of Angela. It's going to be another couple of weeks before she moves out there. And I'm out there, and I'm in church one Sunday morning because I'm spiritual. And <laughs> like you. Like, you can laugh any Feel free. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Okay. And so, so I'm there in church. And they're taking the offering. And how many of you know that's our favorite part? God loves a cheerful giver, right? We all want to give. And so I'm in the offering. We're in the offering time. And I'm sitting close to the back because, again, I'm spiritual. And, and I'm back there. And I'm, I'm sitting there. And God says, give everything you have in your pocket. And I, I reach in my pocket. And I have two dimes. And literally, that was all the money I had. There was no more in my wallet. There was no, God says, give it. I am not giving two dimes, God. That's just weird. I, like, that's, I don't want to drop two dimes in there. That just feels like I'm cheap to you or something. Like, I'm not, I know. I, I mean, maybe you don't argue with God. Now you're all going, God, he picked a bad person to talk to us about following God because he didn't follow God very good. Anyway, and so, so, so the. I, I've got these two dimes in my pocket. My hand's in my pocket, right? I don't know if we were standing. Maybe it's easier to have everybody stand because they're close. They can get to their money easier. I don't know. Anyway, so I feel like we were standing. And so I've got my hand in my pocket. And I'm, I'm like playing with these two dimes. And I'm thinking, God, literally, all I have is two dimes to rub together. And, and God's going, just give it. God, God, I don't want, God, do you understand? I don't get paid. How many of you had a job? You praise God when you got the job, right? Amen, right? Some of you, like, be glad back to be back to work, right? And so, so I was glad I had the job, but I had not gotten paid yet. How many of you know that first couple of weeks that you're working until you get paid, you feel like you're never going to get paid, and you just think, is it even worth it? Like, do I even like this job enough to do this, okay? And, and so, until you get the first paycheck, you go, yeah, I do kind of like this. I like like eating. Anyway, and so, uh, so I was there, and I, I had not, God I was going to get paid that Friday. I was like God, it's Sunday. I I don't know if you've looked in the cabinets, Lord. I don't know if you've looked in the refrigerator. Literally, I wasn't sure there was going to be enough food for me to have to make meals for every meal throughout that week. I had some, but it was going to be scraping by. So God, if I don't know what I thought I was going to buy with 20 cents, like maybe ramen noodles or something for one extra meal. I don't know. Break it in two, get two meals out of it. I don't know, have a clue. But I I was like, I don't know. And God says, give it. Give every time that the plate passes, and I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will make sure that your needs are met. I wrestled. I struggled as those guys walked toward the back, getting closer and closer to me and i was so glad that sunday morning that we had offering bags at our church and not offering plates so nobody could hear it clink in there right you know and i did the reach in where you go all the way to the bottom and drop it so nobody hears that you put change in instead y'all would never do that anyway and so and so you know all the way to the bottom and drop it and so you know and i I was like okay god what i failed to realize was i worked for the recruiting department at that time. That week happened to be campus days. We had to put in a truckload of extra hours. Because we did, they were bringing in food for lunches. When we stayed late, they were feeding us supper. When it got to campus days at the end of the week, every meal was provided for us along the way. I almost didn't have to provide any meal for myself that week because it was already taken care of, and I didn't know it yet. I hadn't worked there long enough to know all that. We left there 11 months later, and we, had, we were out of debt, and we had more in our checking account than when we got there. I can't explain it. I can't explain it other than while my supply looked insignificant, what looked impossible to me, God already saw as done. And he said, if you just give those two times, you don't even understand, son. You don't even know what I'm about to do for you. And here's why. Because while Philip saw an insurmountable need and Andrew saw an insignificant supply, Jesus saw an impressive opportunity. Jesus saw an impressive opportunity. He took that insurmountable need. He coupled it with that insignificant supply. Because, look, he's not into doing the miracles by himself, He wants us to be a part of the process sometimes. he said, you know what? This is a situation where God could do something that would get their attention. And I love that it says he knew what he planned to do before he even asked the disciples. What I discovered in that was this. He asked Philip where they could buy bread on purpose. He wanted Philip to count how many heads were out there and say, Jesus, we can't feed them all. There's too many. He wanted Andrew to come along and say, all we've got is one small kid with cheap bread and sardines. Jesus, he wanted them to get to that point where they understood that they could not do it on their own. That they would need to. In fact, it's almost as if he sets the ball on the tee Hands them the club and says, wow, boys, I guess if you were going to feed this many people with just that amount of stuff, why, you'd have to be God, wouldn't you? Here's the club. Take a swing. Right? I mean, he is setting them up. He wants them to identify their extreme need and their severe lack because it would prove that only a miracle would work in that situation. He wanted them to depend on him. He was always wanting them to depend on him for everything. Alan, are you saying that God would allow us to face a situation that looks so impossible that he would have to work a miracle to get us out of that jam? Absolutely. I'm suggesting exactly that. I'm saying we see life from a different perspective than he does. We don't see it from the same set of lenses. He looks at it and says, I could do something there. We look at it and say, it's impossible. He says, no, it's not. It's already done. I've already decided. I've already determined I'm going to do this. You just need to see that it's going to take me to do it. He'll allow us a little discomfort temporarily only to include us in a miracle that lets him shine to those around us. It's so interesting that that he does that and he he reiterates it to them. And I won't take time this morning to go through because I took a little extra time with some of the other things. But at the end, when Jesus is risen from the dead, the only other time that it mentions small fish is when Peter has said, that's it, I'm going fishing. We haven't seen Jesus for a couple of days now. Not sure what's going on. I'm going fishing. They're out there and somebody from the shore hollers, Have you caught anything? They've heard this before, but it doesn't register right away. No, fishing stinks right now. Caught nothing, worked hard, got nothing to show for it. Really, throw your nets on the other side. They've heard that too before, but they don't realize who it is yet. And they throw their nets on the other side. And suddenly they catch more fish than they could possibly handle. And suddenly John flattens his forehead and says, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter takes off swimming and gets there. And when he gets to the shore, Jesus has already got food because he doesn't need theirs. Come on. He's, he, he, insurmountable need, insignificant supply, doesn't matter with him. And there on the fire, by the way, the charcoal fire, same kind of fire, only other time it's mentioned in the New Testament is when Peter denied Christ. He was standing warm in his hands at a charcoal fire. And there's Jesus grilling breakfast at a charcoal fire. And he says, hey, got some bread and some small fish. He's just trying to stir up these reminders of all these times that things looked impossible to them but he saw it as already done. Listen, if you're, if you're struggling this morning, Jesus sent me here with this word for you today so that you can be reminded he wants to, he is ready, willing, and able to work an impressive miracle through you for his glory and for your benefit and the benefit of those around you. I love this. I love that at the end, we've talked about the boy, the barley, and the bait, But at the end of this miracle, Jesus says, Now collect everything that's left over. And they picked it up in baskets. These baskets were like carry-on luggage. It was what a traveler would have carried with them when they went places. And so they were all getting ready to head to Jerusalem. And so people had these baskets. I don't know if it was the disciples or somebody else. But they had these baskets. And it says that they picked up pieces of bread. And it wasn't, when you get into the original language, again, I'm not a genius. I just have, like, online software that helps me, okay? And so, but as you get into it, you find out that it was not... It was not pieces that people had eaten off of. These were pieces that were broken, had not been eaten off, and were just left over. And they collected 12 baskets full. And man, I read that the first time, and I was like, "Mm, that is good, God. God, you can take the broken things in life. (laughs) Come on, hallelujah. When you're a preacher, you see it in everything, okay? And you're like, God, you can take the broken pieces, and you can just make something wonderful out of it. I just really felt like, almost checked, like God said, go go read that again. I'm not taking something that's messed up and trying to make something out of it. Those were the remainders of the miracle. Those were the leftovers. They were the remainders to be a reminder. I mean, come on. How many of you know that as those disciples left with baskets of food that day... Do you think that they came across a hungry person on the road, and they're like, oh, sorry, bud, I don't think we can help you out. We don't really have enough. They just saw him feed thousands, and they got the leftovers. Um, Do you think that they, like, as they were eating it on the way, they stopped, and they were like, "Uh uh-oh, kind of getting to the bottom of my basket. I hope I don't starve. I hope I don't go without. My guess is that if they're like us, they were so amazed by the miracle that as they get to the bottom of a basket— they go, I wonder if it's going to keep going. Like, I wonder, I want, like, if we pull the last piece out and we look back in there, is there going to be another piece there? Right. Do you think that they had to worry again whether food was going to be provided? No. Now, let me just say, there's times when God does something in our life that it's so miraculous and we're like, wow, that was crazy great. But then we face another situation that's not exactly like that one and we start freaking out again. Ah, it's impossible, right? Because they could be on a storm-tossed sea, and it doesn't matter that he fed the 5,000, because now this situation looks impossible. And it doesn't matter when they face somebody who's demon-possessed, and they can't seem to cast the demons out, and it seems impossible to them. They, they're not remembering that because God did this over here, the same God who did this is the same God who will take care of it. How many of you know we do that? Let's just be you don't have to raise your hand, just do your eyebrows like this. If that's you, you know. Nobody else will know, just you and me. We just look at it and we go, my oh God, it looks impossible. Come on, should I should I worry about whether I'm gonna have food to eat this week after I remember what God did for me and not walks at you after giving my last two dimes? I shouldn't. Should I worry, now that we have two kids, whether God will work some miracle on my behalf? I shouldn't. But how many of you know sometimes we do? Let's just be real. Let's be honest. Let's be genuine. And not just us, but people around us in life. How many of you know some of them don't even know Jesus? They look at their situation, they go, This is impossible. The need is insurmountable. The supply is insignificant. When you hear that, you ought to light up. You ought to be like, mm, come on, somebody. You got to, whoo. Listen, you, somebody tells you, somebody in your life says, but you don't understand how bad it is. Really, how bad is it? Go ahead, tell me, because I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. And listen, he wants to include you in the process. He wants you to be the one. He, he might look at you and say, Heath, Heath, that person, they're going to die probably if somebody doesn't heal them, huh? Yeah, Jesus looks bad. Looks real bad. Huh. The medicine's not working, huh? No, Jesus, the medicine's not working. Huh. i said, tell you what, Heath, why don't you, why don't you lay hands on him, pray for him, and I'm, I'm going to be right there with you. Let's see what happens. See what I'm saying? We're Philip. We're Andrew. And Jesus says, I want you to, come on. Come on. They were going out to that. He, sit them down on the grass. Take the food. Jesus broke it, right? Gave thanks for it. Broke it. Hands it to the disciples. Now the disciples have the bread. And they're going out and they're breaking it off and handing it. And as they're breaking it off and handing it, it's multiplying. And as people are handing it down the row, you break it off, and hand it in, him, and it's multiplying. And he's incorporating everybody in the miracle. Can I just tell you that in LaSalle Parish, there are needs that seem insurmountable. There, the supply, you may go, our church can't do all this by ourselves. That's a great moment. Because at that moment, Jesus can say, Yeah. That's why I empower you with my Holy Spirit to be able to step into that insurmountable need with an insignificant supply and watch me work the miraculous because I see an impressive opportunity to do something that can change this forever. Forever. And so we want to give you that opportunity, man, to just take a look at your situation today in your life and, man, Stacy, maybe you can come back. And, uh, or Miss T, somebody. Well, and I may did I say the wrong name, I may say the wrong name, but I don't know what your situation is today or the situation of those around you, but I know, I am convinced that God wants to not only work in your life, maybe you're the one who needs the miracle but in the lives of those around you. He wants to incorporate you into the miracle taking place. Not so that you can get the credit, but so that your faith can be built up. And the next time you face a situation, you'll be able to say, He'll come through. He'll come through. He will come through. We have a little board that Angela made. She's kind of craftsy like this, and so think Pinterest, all right? And above the window in our kitchen, there's this little board that just says, remember. And on that board are dates and phrases of what happened on that date. November 2007, found out we were pregnant with Alex. Now, around this board, statements of moments when the need was insurmountable and the supply was insignificant. But Jesus saw an impressive opportunity to do something through Alan and Angela and for us. And now, when we get discouraged and we say, God... How is this going to work? And we look up at that board. We go, baskets. Baskets of leftovers to remind us. To remind us. So whatever your situation is today, I just came to tell you, don't doubt. Have faith. Believe. Be a part of the miracle. Why don't you stand right now wherever you're at, if you're capable of that, if you If your health is such that you cannot, we totally understand that and appreciate it. I left a few minutes here because I wanted you to have an opportunity to respond. I wanted you to be able to say, God, do it in me. God, do it for me. God, do it through me somehow. Maybe you need a miracle in your life, and I don't know what that need might be, but in just a moment, I'm going to make it very simple for you to respond. I'm going to count to three, not because there's something super spiritual about the number three. One is too few, five is too many. You just need to know when to move.